Welcome, this is Anthony Haynes, I'm Creative Director of Frontinus Limited. Welcome to the Greylit Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability and research. Many of our episodes concern the creation of grey literature, but this episode is the first in an occasional series that we're calling First Hand, where instead we focus on the consumption of grey literature. And to discuss this topic, I'm pleased to have with me Dr Inji Musa, who is a political scientist at the University of Cambridge. So greetings, Inji. Greetings, Nathi. Thank you for having me today. So it's a pleasure to ha- have you as, as a guest, because often you <laughs> are the interviewer. So I think the first question I'd like to ask you is a very simple one. You, you've you've recently completed your doctoral research, perhaps not so recently now, and um, it'd just be useful to know what your research is about. What, what What's the topic of your research? As most people who have been following politics are aware of kind of the mess that has going has been going on in the Middle East for uh, over a decade now. So having been one of those people who have been interested into the dynamics and changes affecting different countries in the Middle East, particularly in terms of the security um, sector and security apparatus. So my research have been looking at the rise of the private security industry in particular in different Arab countries mm-hmm. um, since 2011 onward. And how that affected the political regimes and uh, system of governance into these countries. I see. Thank you. So, with regard to reading, where does grey literature fit into your academic career? How does it feature in your academic work? Um, I would say it's so integral to the point that we don't re- we don't really feel it as something separate. So, I mm-hmm. only, to be fair, starting making that distinction once we have that we started that series and that podcast on to on grey literature, right? Uh, but mm. as a student and as someone who was so involved into researching their um, kind of passion topic uh, or their topic of interest, um, you kind of jump between different material and you don't really have that conscious categorization mm. of topics. So, but then looking back now and after um, having learned from all the, uh, the episodes we have recorded together on gray literature, it just like, it, it came to me that it's so integral to the point that I it would be hard to just say that I only cover this or that. I actually, it was almost part of every single day of my research. Oh, that's very interesting. So just to clarify, to, to what extent were you using grey literature as a kind of means to help you get the work done? Or to what extent did that actually become a focus? Did you discuss any grey literature as such in your doctoral thesis? So I would say it, it was kind of a combination of both throughout. Um, definitely within the writing phase, using the grey literature in the writing is is kind of the prime um, focus here. But rather into the first like couple of years of, of work on your research, you are more a consuming than uh, integrating them into your research. But mm-hmm. maybe in terms of kind of the different types I have been um, using, uh, abstracts would be one of the main gray literature categories that I would say yeah. any PhD student use because... Yes. To be fair, we don't really read every single academic paper we come across, right? So, <laughs> really? <laughs> so we usually like start with abstracts. Very often it stops there. Yes. Uh, but um, but so not necessarily because the papers are not interesting, but because of like you have to cover so much and there yeah. are so much out there. So usually we stop at abstract. So 
that's kind of in terms of reading the abstract, but many times the the, the authors have been very clever to actually make the, the argument of their paper clear cut into the abstract. So we include that as well into our research, in my case, into my dissertation. So abstract yeah. is one more frequently used. I think that's particularly the case now as graphical in, in abstracts are becoming more common. Uh, they might mm-hmm. not be that common in your discipline, but certainly in natural scientists, natural sciences having a key uh, figure like a, a graph that gives you the, the headline finding, yeah. that's even more true. One more kind of common, I would say, um, type of literature is we, we could include like news uh, uh, reports, commentaries or analytical pieces by experts um, in, mm. in my field, for example. And this, again, is very intensely because my topic was kind of ongoing and recurrent. And I would yes. say it, it will apply to many people who are studying either na- even natural sciences if the topic is kind of an ongoing debate uh, into the, uh, the discipline. Um, so these is a second type. Again, it, ha- it covered both in terms of just enriching my knowledge of my topic, but also including it into my own writing. Um, another uh, one is dissertations. Um, again, depending on whether people will accept it as type of literature or not. Uh, but if we would consider it as at least a borderline, then dissertations have been, one, not as frequent as, as academic papers or as abstracts, obviously used in my, my kind of research. Uh, but depending on the, um, the interest, there are many interesting dissertations and I would definitely encourage PhD students or um, researchers to not just limit themselves to research papers or academic papers but look into dissertations because they cover many times themes that are very niche um, Mm. and um, they go into such depth that not really afforded into just one academic paper. Yeah. Um, And maybe the last one and that's more really in terms of helping or aiding the academic career of a PhD student rather than just that and that, including it into your work, which is protocols. Um, I know we had an episode on that and I would encourage our audience to go and um, listen to it. It, it has been very insightful. Um, so protocols for a PhD student, it's kind of a lifetime Three years, yes, but it, they feel like a lifetime at the, at the moment, at least. Yes. So there are lots of things you need to learn, lots of things you need to produce, start from your uh, first year report to creating a poster if you want to present your dissertation in conference, for example, to v- giving effective presentation at workshops. And I find that a protocols being produced by independent um, academic institutions or by um, private ones, regardless, become very, very handy in terms of just getting you going and um, empowering you with skills and abilities to be a better researcher and later on a better writer. So that might be something like I don't know how to search for literature or something of that kind. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. How to write? How to pre- make a presentation? How to research? Yeah. Uh, how to write an abstract? Even I know you ha- yourself have been mm. producing uh, interesting things on that. Yeah, great. And now I'm going to ask you, if I may, a, a somewhat tangential question because the episode is primarily about reading and consumption and we'll come back to that theme. But I'd just like to ask you, uh, since you've been discussing your own research, what about producing grey literature? Did you find you had any experience of that as a normal part of doctoral research? Um, okay, that's a very interesting and very um, comprehensive question, I would say. I think one way to answer this question is to think of the PhD 
Uh, so first, yes, definitely I have. So just to, yes, <laughs> instead of yep. moving beyond the uh, direct answer. So yes, I would say I did, and I would assume that most species, if not all of them, would have at some point or another an experience with producing real literature, um, some more intensely and more uh, comprehensively than others, but definitely it just it's unavoidable, I would say. And that's where the, the division between maybe different stages of your PhD um, life is, is quite interesting here. So I would distinguish between three kind of circles. So you have the narrow dissertation sphere, and I will mm-hmm. come to that in a second. Then you have maybe the PhD-related sphere, so the wider kind of life of a PhD student. And then um, while you are in your PhD, you also have kind of, you are thinking ahead. So the wider academic career and where that producing great literature fit into into this. So if we start with like the narrow dissertation sphere, definitely producing great literature, as I said, is unavoidable at some point, like producing your first year report. Like no student can can move from first year to second year without producing that report. And it is, um, I think, without much argument, a form of great literature. Um, another one is um, your thesis summary or abstract, which you keep developing from like the first few months of your dissertation until the very end. So each abstract you write is, again, a form of great literature into that respect. Yeah. Um, the whole dissertation, right? If we would uh, categorize it as a great literature, then definitely, again, an avoidable one. Um, protocols for personal use, I found that um, from my own experience quite helpful. So definitely, I mentioned before that you have to look for protocols to help you uh, write, present, produce different pieces um, for your research. But also it comes handy to when you have so many protocols ahead of you or when you have mm-hmm. um, interesting materials to actually produce your own protocols. Oh, so yeah. I had that kind of, I experienced that um, in different stages of my PhD before it as well as after it as well so it's nice practice to like you know yourself better what works for you what doesn't so just don't take things literally or don't take things like no that doesn't work for me uh, so i would kind of put aside as a whole sometimes you have like um at least one or two points in a protocol that might work for you so make your own protocol in that respect um and it last uh, one into this narrow dissertation sphere i would say like presentations of your uh, of your dissertation while it's on the making or at the very end uh, one form that i have been personally experienced a couple of times at least was uh, three minute thesis competitions yeah and um i think that's it's it was it kind of an interesting experience and interesting way of thinking of great literature because uh, you gain uh, a viewership and that's like not a readership but you also have to write the presentation so it kind of it combines different forms of great literature at one time mm-hmm. Moving to maybe the bigger sphere, like the PhD-related yep. sphere in that respect, yep. again, abstract for conference, so not only on your PhD uh, research, but things that you work on during your PhD, other papers, other um, research sites. Um, also ap- applying for fellowships and scholarships. These include a lot of writing in terms of summarizing your work, your ambitions, yeah. outlook on your academic field, etc. So again, lots of ways where you are producing great literature in that respect um and another one that maybe people will not uh, not many people will will kind of experience but i think it's one that i mentioned for people to actually try try it out is applying for workshops and conferences so you are as not as participant but as actually organizer and then yeah, wow. i was putting yeah. together uh, my conference which i was very honored to have you as uh, as a <laughs> guest uh, at the time definitely we have a lot of things being produced being from the flyer to um putting abstract of people together 
but also to produce a report after the, uh, the conference. Um, it, at the time, I produced a blog post. Uh, so again, another form of creation in that respect. Uh, so lots of work coming into this as part of your mm. uh, bigger uh, PhD-related sphere. And the third and last um, maybe way to look at great literature as a producer, as a PhD student, is the wider academic career. So um, right. it's very hard to think of any PhD student who, as much as they will be so involved into their academic career, but they always have in the back of my mind um, something bigger, especially in terms of readership. So they want more people to know about their work. Yeah. The more interesting yeah. they get into it, the more... Uh, kind of impatient they want people to know about it they cannot yes. really uh, want to wait until like the three or four years of their their PhD so it's really about kind of increasing your impact and visibility in that respect and yeah. always here again we covered some of them in our uh, other episodes of our podcast but it will be like blog posts um, many uh, academics and I, I would I think that this is something that we are increasingly encouraged to do as PhD students as well, is to write blog posts in different aspects, either directly related to your research or to the wider field that you are in, just to get your name out there, to interact with people. Yeah. Also, um, written or visual contribution to the media, being it um, like writing uh, small media reports, analytical pieces, or even go on TV if there is an event uh, where you are interested in and you are an expert on then um, the media could approach you or you could approach the media and get your opinion um, out there. Podcast is another one where you develop, it might develop from a podcast to, sorry, from a blog post to a podcast or it could be directly a podcast. Um, And as I said before, like policy analysts or reports are a part that kind of builds you become a better researcher that when you end your PhD, you are not just someone who has produced a dissertation, but you are much more than that. Yes, indeed. Uh, in in fact, I think times have changed quite quickly, actually. It isn't very long ago. I mean, really 10, maybe 15 years ago. I remember hearing a senior academic talking to early career researchers and saying, with a quite snobby tone of voice, I have to say, academics don't write blog posts. And I, I think there are very few people around who say that kind of thing now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So thank you. That That's a, a really kind of uh, rich discussion there of the way that you produce grey literature as part of your research. If we revert to, the, again, the question of consumption, I'm interested in other things we could do to make grey literature contribute more to the work of an academic. And if there are things we can do, what are they? How, how should we go about helping sort of leveraging grey literature so it makes more of a contribution to academic work? So I think I would definitely be one of those people who really want to advocate for a more purposeful contribution uh, of to, mm. in terms of grey mm-hmm. literature to the work of an academic, starting as a PhD, if not earlier as an MA, for example, and, uh, and moving forward into your academic career. And in terms of how could we do that, I think I could at least identify two big channels that I find relevant. So one of them is that we have to raise awareness on the various types of great literature out there uh, for um, for academics and for PhD students to know about them, not just leave them as it was in my case, for example, to encounter them and to integrate them by chance or haphazardly. Mm, um, yeah. I wish I would have been introduced to um, these forms of great literature as as a form of creators, not just like, yeah, here, like read that news report, it's important, or read that dissertation, but rather here is a platform of kind of different types of great literature. 
please make use of them as much as possible as a PhD student. And um, I guarantee you will find lots of benefit in them, mm. which which end up being the case. But if you have that from day, day one, then you have a much more structured way of approaching the resources you are consulting during your research. And kind of, I think it's also helpful to think of them as kind of limitless opportunities to gain knowledge as well, right? So knowledge is not only in the books or in the library. They are much, much yeah. more there as yep. well. Um, so And they ho- also help enrich one's perspective. Um, they help us as PhDs to interact with non-academic as well, because many of these literature, while they might cover your topic, they are also written by non-academics, which again include a nice perspective onto how different people um, interact and perceive and maybe produce knowledge um, relevant to your own passionate um, topic. So that's kind of first part would be like raising awareness. And again, mm. I very much think that that's academic institutions, universities need to invest a lot into this. And it's not that much of a big deal, right? Maybe one protocol on them or yes. a workshop with, an, uh, with someone who's um, kind of aware and knowledgeable of these could do the job for PhD students. So it doesn't have, it, it doesn't take much effort. That's what I mean. I'm mm. saying, mm. Yeah, um, interesting. And the other point is uh, making producing literature more structured and more awarded. Uh, so to reward actually and to encourage students to produce great literature and not just be a mere consumer. Um, and as a, as we as I said in my previous answer, we we produce as patients and produce great literature unavoidably anyway. Mm, right? Yes, yes. But if it's if they actually think of it as something that they are contributing to knowledge through these great literature, then that we encourage them to do more about it uh, or more of it, but also in terms of um, being rewarded by it. So if you produce, for example, in your first year report, you have to be aware that that's a form of great literature and you are not just thinking of it, okay, um, it will not fit into my, it's kind of just a report of what I'm going to do or mm-hmm. what I have done mm-hmm. and it's going to be on the shelf and that's it. No, but if you think of it as a, a kind of as a form of, academic production in that respect and academic again and kind of that gives a lot more interest into the students while they are producing that piece but also trying to find ways to utilize it into other um kind of maybe dissect it take part of it and make it into a a blog post etc um abstract as well i know that students again depending on how um eager they are to attend um workshops and conferences will produce abstract but if that's something that it's encouraged and it's kind of taught as well because it's very easy to tell your student as 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 a lecturer or as a reader who is um, or any professor who is supervising PhD and so and you need to take part in conferences you need to go out there but mm. then if you don't really give them the tools starting yes. with writing an abstract then you are just kind of preparing them to fail more often than they they succeed yes. in that respect. Yeah, I'm very interested. I'm very interested to use the word tools because I think my my sort of dream here is actually to end up producing what I call what I think of as a tool kit mm-hmm. for PhD communication. Yes. Yeah. Then. Uh, yeah. So absolutely. So these are kind of my main two things that I would appreciate mm. training universities investing mm. more in raising awareness, but as well as making uh, product producing really more structured into that academic life of of a PhD student, but also more rewarded by professors yeah. and the academic team into their um, yes. department. Thank you. And you touched actually on, you've touched more than once actually on a theme which I'm sure we will explore in greater depth 
in future episodes, which is the business of recycling and repurposing content rather mm-hmm. than doing something once and then that's it yes. and you have to go on to the next gig, as it were. So that's uh, that's that's something for the future. But uh, Inji, thank you. I think that's a fascinating insight from the point of view of a reader. Grey literature is often discussed from the point of view of people who manage it, librarians and information scientists. And I think my own aim, partly through this podcast, is to talk about the creation and, and production of Grey literature. But I think you've given us a, an insight from yet another angle, which is reading and consumption of Grey literature. So, Inji Musa, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony. It has been a pleasure and an honour. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Grey Lit Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Hallmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specialises in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers and reports. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. (laughs) 